On this edition of the Scott Radley Show podcast, we are talking about a home in Hamilton, a rundown, dilapidated, full of junk home that just sold for $150,000 over the asking price, $423,000. How insane is our housing market right now? There's your answer. We'll talk about that. We're also going to be chatting about the Ontario Hockey League. It is, It has put forward a plan to come back, but financially with the business with everything else is it feasible it's a tough one stick around we're talk today on the scott radley show on 900 chml no idea what the housing market is like down in sweet home alabama but i can tell you what it's like here in hamilton insanity is what it is it is insanity and you all know that. I'm not telling you anything you don't know already. You've been following this. You've either been following it from a distance or you've been stuck in it, in which case, my apologies. Unless you're selling, in which case, my congratulations. Just, I mean, go on realtor.ca if you don't know what I'm talking about. If you're new here, go on realtor.ca. And it is no longer all that uncommon to see listings in Hamilton and in the suburbs of Hamilton for a million dollars. A million dollars in Hamilton, in the Hamilton area. Some parts of town, $800,000 would be a steal. And if you can find almost anywhere in town a home that's not a fixer-upper for under half a million dollars, you're probably doing pretty well. These are weird times in a city that was once considered affordable and blue-collar and all that kind of stuff. But here's the thing, and the reason we bring this up, because a particular sale this week may have pushed the bounds of even what we expect around here. A small bungalow in the city that was abandoned, filled with junk, filthy, uh, appearing to be pretty dilapidated and in such bad shape that people couldn't even go into the house to look at it if they were interested in purchasing it. Sold for $423,000, more than almost $150,000 over the asking price. I want to bring in Rob Golfie. Uh, he is a real estate agent. You all know that. You see his signs and his name around. He's also the co-host of the Niagara-Hamilton Real Estate Show, Saturday mornings here at 9 on 900 CHML. Uh, Rob, thanks for doing this today. Hey, Scott. Thanks for having me. Uh, is when I see this, I mean, and all the other stuff, I get it. But when I see this, is, is it me or is this now gone officially goofy? It, it has gone goofy. The last four months has just been insanely unexpected. And uh, don't know, like, we nobody saw this coming. Nobody saw this coming. And uh, and I just, I just can't believe it myself. It, uh, it's just incredible how this real estate market has gone in the last four and a half, five months. Uh, th- this house that we're talking about that sort of just made me, my eyes bug out a little bit. Uh, there's no doubt. I don't think that the initial price was probably undervalued. Although if you don't know what condition the house is in, who knows if it was or wasn't, but four hundred, almost four and a quarter for a gutter and fixer, just especially a small one. Boy, does that ever seem like a lot. You know, you know what, Scott? I'm going to tell you something. I, I know what you're saying. This, this was on Trajina Avenue South. It sold for 423000 I don't know how many offers were on this one, but there's so many others. Like there was one on Weber Avenue, you know, listed at, at, at 299 sold for 430000 Another one on Robbins. This is a great deal. 
listed at 189.9 and sold for 280. Anything under wow. 300, it's worth buying, and it just the list goes on and on and on, and it shows here just this month alone so far. So today is what the 29th. Uh, so far in Hamilton and, sur- and surrounding areas, that's including Ancaster, Flamborough, uh, Waterdown, uh, the Hamil- in Hamilton, 889 homes sold as of right now today. 552 of those 889 homes sold for full price or more. 62% of the homes that are sold are sold for full price or more. The same thing last month, uh, September, in Hamilton, 1,043 homes sold, 660 sold for full price or more. That worked out about 60%. That's crazy. Like we thought 2017, March, uh, April, and, and uh, February, March, April of 2017, then things kind of settled down after that. We thought that's not going to happen for another 10, 20 years. Well, guess what? That happened within three years. Unbelievable. I, Rob, now th- this shows you how wrong I am on the real estate thing. Uh, first of all, if I had had any idea this was going to happen, I would have found some investor and or found some money somehow and bought a bunch of homes, Just, but I didn't. Um, but not only that, I had always been under the impression that if you're going to sell a house and it's not in great shape, you're better off fixing it up and making it beautiful and doing a nice bathroom and all the rest. Make it presentable for people so you can turn around and sell it clearly based on what we're seeing, that's not necessary whatsoever. It would be a waste of time and money. It, it would be. It, it, right now, if you've got a house that is garbage and you're thinking, oh my, how am I going to sell this house? Now's the time to sell it. Put it on the market. Call your agent or call me, of course, and you can strategically price it so that you do get multiple price, multiple offers and you will get top dollar for it. In this market, you're you're going to get top dollar. And um, like, this is the time to get rid of something that, that could be that, that home that, that, that's a money pit. Now's the time to get rid of it. Dump it. Someone will buy it. Someone will buy it. it. Someone's going to buy it. There's a buyer for every house. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. This is not the only one. I, I have a very good friend who she and her husband were looking to upgrade to get a bit of a bigger house and a bigger property. And they um, found this place in town that was a time capsule from 1960. Every room needed to be redone. And the house was already selling for something like 600000 within the last month. They put in an offer for 70000 over asking and never got even consideration because the place got 24 offers and theirs was nowhere close to the best one. It, it just, she was shocked. And I'm thinking, I guess she probably shouldn't be at this point anymore. No, no, it, it's a, it's a normal, it's normal right now. And buyers are, are a little bit frustrated because they're, and, and this is in all different price ranges. They're finding the house that they love and it's you know, a young couple. They may have a baby, and they're looking for, you know, their first, you know, maybe detached home or they're coming from a condo. Now they're ready to start their family. They find a house. But the problem there is there's 10 other families, 10 other couples that are looking for, feel the same way about that house. And now they've got to try to outbid each other. And they're only limited in how high they can go. And that's the hard yes. part about this market. And it's Th- sad this- to see some couples not getting their, their dream house that they want. And I, I feel, I feel for these, for these people. It's, and it, and it's, 
so sad to see some people that they deserve to, to get the house and they're not getting it just because they're in competition with, with nine or 10 other people. It's been a while since I've been in the market myself, and I'm sure many people listening are in the same position. So now many of the houses that are going on sale, and you, I don't even know what the proper name is, they're, they're, they're not allowing bids to come in. and They set a time when you can submit your bid, right? That's right. They're, they're, they call them bully offers. They're saying no preemptive offers. They're saying you can't get, you can't, we're not allowing any uh, offers prior to that date. And so that they're making it fair for all the realtors out there uh, to submit offers on a certain time. And they're going to look at them, uh, you know, within a couple hours after that. And um, so that everybody has a fair chance. So there's not one person that's got deeper pockets than the other can say, Hey, Hey, I got an offer today. You want to look at it? We're saying, no, we're not looking at it. You have to wait that day to submit your offer. Um, and, and there's, you know, again, like, like you were saying, they're, they're holding offers and, uh, and it's causing, it's causing the market, uh, crazy out there. Well, and so, yeah, when, when all of a sudden, you know, okay, there's other people who are going to be putting in an offer, what it's doing as well. It's, and, and, and it's a very strategic thing by the agents. It's making everybody as they tried to do bump up the offer. So we're offering more, hoping we get ahead, but there's nothing that prevents the agent, once you have all the offers from going back and saying, okay, here's the best one. Anybody want to top it again? You can still do that, right? You can do that. You can actually, a lot of times, um, you know, you may, you may have like, like, let's say 10 offers and, and three of them are, are pretty close to the same, the top three. You can say to those three, say, Hey, listen, you guys are pretty close. Why don't you guys take your offers back to your um, uh, buyers and see if you guys want to do something better because there's three of them close to the same. And sometimes you do that and, uh, you know, it could backfire on you, but, uh, it just depends how far, how limited, you know, you might send three back and maybe only one comes back and you're, you know, you're lucky if they do come back. Um, because if they, none of them come back, then, then you, you kind of shortchange yourself, but there's all different strategies that you can do, but the proper way is everybody is supposed to come in with their best offer. Uh, but sometimes you can re- you can still push them uh, a little more. Uh, a lot of times, uh, um, if you know, if you can negotiate and keep pushing them more and see if you can get get, get more money from these people, and it, and it does work out. It does. So just to, it there's all a strategy to all this, uh, Scott, and it and it's and it's and it's 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 tough. It's tough. It's it's uh, it's very very uh, stressful for the buyer uh, that that is putting the offers in on these. It's very stressful for them. It is, uh, as I say, when you see 150000 for a rundown place, it's going to need to be completely redone. I, are you seeing people who have no desire to move whatsoever? They are quite happy where they are, but saying, I, I, we have to put up our house for sale at a ludicrous price just to see if we can hit the jackpot? Yes, but but you, mind you, they got to find, if, they, if they're looking at buying another house, they're going to be in the same situation as the buyers that were looking at their house. Unless they they downsize, right? Unless unless they're going to downsize or something. Unless they downsize. Um, A lot of times, you know what? When there's a bidding war going on on a house, buyers got to be careful because that that instinct of I want to win kicks in and logic may not be there. And all of a sudden they they really bidded a little bit more than they should have on that house. Not saying they didn't have the money, saying that maybe they really went more than what the value of that, that property is. So they got to be very, very careful and say, okay, listen, I'm willing to pay this much money. But every time um, the agents, when they, they hear about um, there's 10 offers now, there's 12 offers now, there's 
16 offers. So they keep going to their buyer. Listen, there's this many offers, and their buyer wants that house so bad. He, he may end up bidding more than what, what it actually was worth, and then all of a sudden the next day wakes up and says, what did I just do? So, mm. yeah, you have to be careful there. But the housing market has been fantastic uh, since 1996, ni- 1999, somewhere in there. We've, and and it, we haven't had any real – we had a couple of bumps along the way, but nothing dramatic. Um, like nothing housing like prices this. double every 10 years. They double every 10 years. And actually, it's almost doubled in the last five to ten, seven years, wow. uh, the housing prices. It is uh, it is unlike anything we've seen. And if you are buying, as I've said many times, if you're trying to get in, uh, I feel badly for you, but good luck. And if you're selling, well, you just won a lottery. Uh, Rob Golfie, you can hear him Saturday morning right here on the station, 9 a.m. Rob, thanks as always. Thank you very much, Scott. Have a great night. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Many industries, many businesses, many types of work have been obviously hugely impacted by COVID. I mean, the tourism industry, I mean, you can go through the whole thing, but there is, among the ones that have been most affected is sports. And whether it's baseball, which finished its season and had a World Series, but apparently lost hundreds of millions of dollars, according to the commissioner of baseball or hockey or basketball, which finished their seasons and awarded championships, but lost tens or hundreds of millions of dollars. That's one thing, but they still played. But then you've got the CFL that couldn't even get a season going. And you've got the Ontario Hockey League with the Hamilton Bulldogs that was supposed to be going by now, then announced that it was going to try and start at the beginning of December. And today announced, yeah, that's not happening. February the 4th is when we're going to get going now. I want to bring in Josh Brown. He is a writer for the Waterloo Record. He is he covers the Kitchener Rangers. He's probably by now the dean of OHL hockey writers. Josh, how are you tonight? Hey, Scott. I'm doing okay. I'm staring at a box of Halloween candy I'm going to be giving out two days and trying not to eat it. So. <laughs> Torture. Praying, yeah, Seriously. praying those kids don't come so you can eat it. Yeah, stay maybe, away maybe. from the house, kids. <laughs> yeah. uh, the, the plan came out today that the OHL has put out. Um, what would be on a scale of one to ten? Ten being the most, one or zero being the least. What's your level of confidence that what they say they are hoping to do is actually what's going to happen? Um, yeah, I forget the scale you said to me, but whatever is. Uh, Fingers crossed and hoping is probably where, where I'm at. <laughs> um, it's, yeah, it, it's a, you know, it, it really was supposed to get going in September. And then, of course, it got pushed to December. And now we're, now we're hoping for February. Uh, if things keep going the way they are, it's, it's really hard to see how that's going to happen, at least as the way we know it. Well, for a variety of reasons. And I mean, I, I look, I don't want to be patronizing and I'm assuming many people know this, but I mean, the OHL is not a big money organization relative to other leagues. And so when other leagues have done like a bubble or whatever, like there's just no way that you can do anything like that. This, this is, this is you either play or you don't. Yeah. And I think, I think too, like if they come back with no fans, like, I, you know, then, then it's like, we've agreed to lose a lot of money this year and, and, and we're just going to bite the bullet and pray that we can come back full force next year. I was just looking at the financials of the Rangers, who, uh, as you know, are one of the probably more successful teams in the O. In that they, you know, they get seven thousand a game. And for the last twenty-four years, they've made a profit. So they made six point seven million bucks in twenty nineteen. Uh, and when I say made, I mean total revenues, not profit. So that was about taking in about a million bucks a month. You know, uh, by February, that's going to be four months gone. So if you do the math, 
it's a lot of money they're losing, and, and you know they furloughed some employees from their franchise during this. Uh, talking to the chief uh, operating officer today, he said that that's not a unique story around the O, and the other teams have done the same. So clearly, they're feeling the financial crunch during this. Like, I mean, the only money the team's making right now is like the odd T-shirt sale, and I don't think anybody's going to the rink to buy them. So you know, maybe an online sale here or there. Uh, if they come back with no fans, I have a real hard time seeing how they're going to agree to that because it's going to cost a fortune to take these guys on the road, even if they do what they say they're going to do, and that is play teams close to your geographic center. So maybe we'll see some more Kitchener-Hamilton games, which would be cool. But, um, you know, the U.S. teams, like, I don't know what they're going to do. The border, uh, fans, there's still a lot of really unknown questions. And I think it's just a wait-and-see approach. Nothing they can really do. Um, they got to hope that public health kind of gives them the A-OK, and then, you know, then they can maybe go ahead or maybe let in a few fans. Uh, I know they're doing that out in the Atlantic provinces in the QMJHL, but their numbers are far different than Ontario, so it's a bit of a different story there. Well, and and you're alluding to the Kitchener Rangers or the London Knights. I mean, two, I would argue, the, the two most successful, unless I'm missing one, the two most successful OHL teams. And if Kitchener is furloughing staff and having a tough time and imagining a tough time, Imagine what Peterborough or Sarnia or Owen Sound or some of these small, small marketplaces are looking at if they are told they have to play a season this year and there's no fans in the building. Yeah, it's, it's got to be pretty dire in some of those centers. And, and you've got to remember, too, like Hamilton's got so many options for sports and universities and things going on. Some of these other towns, like this OHL team is the lifeblood of the city. You know, and Owen Sound, it's like almost everybody knows somebody who's at the game because, you know, they, they, it's not the biggest population up there. So it's really going to be tough for some of these, these teams to rebound. And, of course, some of them have owners with deep pockets, but I think it's a lot of these owners have been losing money over the years. And their questions would be like, how much more do I really want to lose? Um, you know, it's just, it's just a really, really tough situation. And I, I, I think everybody who likes OHL hockey wants to see it return. Um, but it's got to be feasible and, and until they get the green light uh, and some money coming in, I, it's, it's going to be a tough goal to see it happen. It, I know we're throwing around some hypotheticals here, but I don't think they're crazy hypotheticals because I mean, look at the CFL. They, they literally considered almost every possibility. And so let's consider one here for the OHL. We're into February. The fans still can't come because we're still having problems, but you want to get some hockey going. And some of these smaller teams just couldn't afford it. Could you see any, scenario in which a number of teams say go ahead and play this year but we're just not going to be participating for this one year we'll be back next year yeah that's a tough one um i i think i could see it and i, and I think i could see it for a bunch of different reasons you know some of them might be like if the border issues it might not have anything to do with the, the money if the border issues aren't solved i can't see the u.s team like you know eerie to to go play in flint is like it's just, i don't know how long it is i think it's like a six or eight hour drive so you'd have to go there for like a week to play four or five games at once to make it worthwhile. And there's four or five, you know, a week of hotel bills and meals. And, and it really starts getting expensive. Um, so, yeah, you know, maybe I don't know if the O would allow that. But uh, I think to keep the integrity of the league, they, they wouldn't want it. But, you know, they don't want to lose members either. Um, so, I don't know, that's a really tough question to answer. Yeah, you know, it, it's impossible to answer. And that, that's part of what they're dealing with. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Just before the break, Josh, we're talking about some of the financial problems here, which is really what this is all about, I think, for a lot of the people in this league. 
And I'm wondering, this is the NHL's or one of the NHL's primary developmental leagues for its draft and creating young players. Should the NHL be stepping in here at some point, even though it's losing money, and saying, look, we'll help some of the OHL teams if it means getting a season going? I think the NHL would argue it already does, right? So when they draft a player, they give each team that they that, that player plays on uh, thousands of dollars in development money. Um, but they might have to because, like you said, the CHL is, in fact, the biggest feeder into the NHL. Um, and this is the, the training ground for that league. You know, they'll have to maybe look there. I don't know if they turn to the OHL and say, hey, um, time to open up the war chest. Now, I know they've got other other things they're already supposedly paying off. Uh, I don't know if the lawsuit settlement is going to happen or not, but that's $30 million. So they've got a lot of money tied up in other things, but they do get a lot of cash for showing games on sports that maybe it's talking to sports then saying, Hey, why don't we do uh, three or four games a week uh, to try to get some money coming in. And uh, I asked uh, the, the Rangers CEO today, if they had asked the league for any help, they had to have not. And um, to their knowledge, the league, um, Sorry, I, to, they, the league is handling whether or not uh, they're asking the government for additional money. I know in Quebec they got $20 million for Quebec-based teams uh, to help alleviate some of the burden because they're playing with no fans in Quebec, just on the Atlantic provinces, and the league can, can fans go to games. So uh, maybe there's some, re- some different revenue sources there, uh, but that's, that's asking a lot. Uh, I don't know if the government, like we saw in the CFL, uh, isn't really readily handing out money uh, to sports teams. And you just touched on something else that just complicates this so much. I mean, it it seems like when it rains, it pours. But just this week, we learned that a settlement that had been agreed upon, I guess, between the Canadian Hockey League and players for stuff that's happened in the past that a judge in Quebec said, no, that's, that's not okay. I don't accept this settlement. Go back and redo it. You now have uncertainty. And that, as you say, was $30 million. And so now... Now you don't know how much you're going to have to pay extra and you've got no revenue coming in and we may want you to play. And do we dip into the future money that will, then where does it come from? I mean, it's, it's, I don't want to say it's a mess, Josh, but it's a bit of a mess. Yeah, it is. And don't forget if that lawsuit does, in fact, the settlement does go through, it's the clubs that have to pay the money. So, um, you know, clubs that are already hurting are going to have to pay a substantial amount of money to, to that, to that settlement, which I'm sure is the last thing they want to hear right now. It, it, you know, it, it's I, like I said before. I think maybe if there's no fans, they they decide to just bite the bullet and go through with it for the sake of having some continuity. Um, but boy, they better hope that this rebounds by next year and things go back to normal. It's funny. I've been I wrote a story today on our website about some of the how the teams are dealing with a financial pinch now that they have to wait a couple extra months. And I had a bunch of fans email me and say, listen, I'm a diehard OHL supporter and I'd love to go back to games, but I'm not going back until like I know it's completely safe. So you even have hardcores, even if fans are allowed back, saying I'm not even going to buy a ticket because they don't feel like they're, you know, a certain segment just doesn't feel safe in, 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 sitting in an arena-style setup, uh, setup right now. Well, and again, you're talking about Kitchener where it's, you know, how many, 6,000 season tickets, something like that? I mean, you, you've yeah, got... Yeah, 5,600 season tickets, and but then they'll get about 1,500 walk-up, so you get about 7,000 usually in and around there for a game. So move that to a different city that doesn't, Hamilton, for example, doesn't have anywhere near that number. How do you possibly, at this point, you don't have a schedule, and you're going to start potentially, I guess, theoretically asking people to start buying tickets for February. How does how do you convince people to spend their money, A, when they don't know if they can go, and B, if they're worried about getting COVID, even if they do go? I mean, it's just, it's so difficult financially right now. 
I think you're relying on hardcores who who are just like live and die by your team because 40 games. So they start February 4th and season wraps up May 3rd. So you're talking about 40 games in a matter of three months. That's like a game what every two days or less than two days almost. It's it's crazy. It's going to be hockey, hockey, hockey. Uh, and if you're playing, also the other problem is if they're, do, they're following through with this this move to play teams uh, close to your city, which which is cool and everything. I think that's a you know prudent thing to do for safety, but also for travel safety and dough. But who wants to see the same team ten times? It's like one more. You know, it's already hard enough when they Kitchener plays Owen Sound eight times a year in a sixty-eight game schedule, and I know a lot of people complain they don't want to keep seeing the same opponent. Try seeing you know the same team twelve to fifteen times potentially. <laughs> oh yeah, well especially I mean if you're Sault Ste. Marie, you're going to just be playing Sudbury, only Sudbury, maybe North Bay. No, and uh, those... Saginaw's pretty close actually. It's one of their closer ones. But oh, is yeah. it okay? So, Throw Saginaw yeah, on there as well. But it's about a four or five hour drive. But yeah, I know, and, and, and it's not a good time to be in OHL marketing. It is uh, it is a difficult one, but at least there is a plan. At least they've got that now. Whether it's a plan that is going to be. Uh... Working? We're going to find that soon enough. Uh, Josh Brown, Waterloo record writer for the Kitchener Rangers. Thanks, Josh. Appreciate you taking the time today. Anytime, Scott. Talk to you soon. Uh, The one good thing about this, I mean, there's some other good things, but one really good thing is that the league didn't decide, hey, you know what, let's start in December anyway and play with that no contact rule that the Ontario government wanted them to play with because that would have just been farcical. Thank goodness we're not talking about that today. I mean, no hockey is almost better than that option. The Scott Radley Show. Weekday evenings from 6 to 8 on 900 CHML. The Scott Radley Show podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Radley. Thanks again for listening, and do not forget to subscribe to this podcast. It is free. You will never miss an episode. And also, be sure you rate us and review us. Whatever you think of us, we'll take it. Thanks for listening.